now the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise are two weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency are three weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope are four. No. <laughs> Amongst our weapons. Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear. I'll come in again. <laughs> I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. expects the Spanish Inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as fear, surprise, ruthless efficiency, and almost fanatical devotion to the Pope and nice red uniform. Oh, damn. But they are expecting the Glover's Inquisition. The heart is a blue Shoots up through the stony ground There's no room No space to win in this town You're out of luck And the reason that you had to care The traffic is stuck Yes, it's time for another Glover's Inquisition You thought you found a friend it's the show where we find out what makes our players tick. Someone you can lend a hand in return for grace. It's a beautiful day. Sky falls, you feel like it's a beautiful day. To let it get away on the road. Well, good evening, Ruben. Thank you very much for joining us on the Spanish Inquisition. And um, we're going to put you through your paces now, mate, OK? Yep, that's cool. Good. Ruben, you were born on the 26th of July, 1988, uh, in Bristol, no less. So you're, relatively speaking, a local boy, yeah? Yep, that's true. And you're a striker, and you've been to Yeovil before. And you've yep. probably got as many clubs as Jack Nicholas. Looking at this list here, <laughs> it's quite a long list when you see it all, even if you include the loans. But um, so take me back a little bit, Ruben. When you were a kid in Bristol, um, who did you sort of? Who was your first team that you ever played for? You know, like a boys' team or a youth team. In terms of football, yeah, or cricket. No, yeah. no football, well, football, let's... football, mate. Let's talk football. Um, yeah, so my first team I ever signed for was a team called St. Valiers. Mm -hmm. um, they were a team local to the area I grew up in, Hawfield. And yeah. they played um, in a little place called Elm Park. Right. Um, just off Filton Avenue. Yeah. So my earliest memory was sort of probably under 10s, under 11s football. That was my first um, first taste. Yeah, St. Valiers. And, and were you always a striker? 
I was always a striker, yeah. Attacking yeah. player more so. I was someone yeah. like who would try and get the ball in the net. So I think at that age, yeah, you know, yeah. I was never much of a stopper. Um, um, so yeah, I was always an attacking player, off probably off the wing, but more so central striker, yeah. But when it came to being, um, a, a, you know, signing on for a youth team, you you ended up signing up with Plymouth Argyle in two thousand and five. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And uh, why Plymouth? Did, did you know? Did you go down there on trial? Did they offer you the deal or what? How did it work out? No, it was well. It's a very strange story, as you ask. Obviously, I, I didn't really have any youth team football at all. Um, I was playing cricket. Yeah. Um, to a good standard, and I went to Millfield School. Oh right. And. Yeah. Yeah. From Milford School, I had to do a winter sport, and mm. obviously I wasn't going to do rugby, and I, I could obviously play football. Mm. Um, so my at Millfield, obviously, you know, it's all the it's the high end sort of level of coaching, mm. a really great school, and I ended up playing football and doing full time training. Really got myself um, playing well, fit, playing good football, and we managed to go to the uh, Isfa Cup final at Leicester, and mm. I played well throughout the tournament. I was playing some good football, and I ended up going to Man United. Oh, right, OK. Um, so from Manchester United, I spent two months there, um, played in the Milk Cup. Disappointed not to sign there, but from that point on, I signed... I was invited to go down to Plymouth Argyle, and I ended up signing a professional contract pretty much straight away. And I was, I became a professional footballer. That's how quickly it came, yeah. came about. And, and Yeah, so sort of... Yeah, go on. Because it obviously ticked the box as far as you were concerned then. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, well... It's a weird one. I was literally having this conversation, literally, I think yesterday with someone uh, regarding, you know, we talk about life choices and stuff. And mm. it was so be it. I think there was rumours going around at the time that I was going to probably be thrown into a first-class cricket game sort of at the end of that season just to see how I'd fare and stuff after spending the year at Millfield. And then, lo and behold, I ended up going into football and playing professional football at the end, end of that football season, you know? So, um I think it must. It was a massive kick in the teeth, really, for Gloucestershire County Cricket Club, who obviously contributed financially to my school fees. Yeah, yeah. But you know, quite. some things in life. Obviously, it was a it was a decision that needed to be made, and obviously, going to Manchester United at the mm. time was what obviously swayed it for me to say, right, I'm going to embark on the football side of things as opposed to the cricket side of things. Well, quite naturally, if you get invited to go and play for Manchester United at that age, they must have seen something in you and you must have thought, well, hang on a minute, Man United, if they can see something, then I've, I've got a good future in football. No, yeah, of course. And, um, yeah, that's exactly how it was. I mean, mm. obviously, at that time, I've got the belief that I'm going to sign for Manchester United. Yeah, still, yeah. There's still probably a tinge of disappointment that I didn't actually, and probably questions as to why I didn't end up signing for them. But, mm. you know, um, things happen for reasons, and I ended up at Plymouth Argyle. Right, let's get into Ruben's choice of music now. And the first track we got for you is called Slave, and it's by Lucky Doob. Really? 
called Slave. So, football kicked off at Plouth Argyle. Um, you were there yeah. for two years. Um, did you... Yes, you did make a few appearances for Plouth Argyle. Seven appearances, it says in Wikipedia. Does that sound about right? No, nah, there was a few more than that. So yeah. A few in the league and a few in the cup. Yeah. Um, I don't really... Wikipedia is a sort of like league appearance, isn't it? I think mm. I left there with about 15 or... 15 or so. Or a dozen appearances or so. Yeah, yeah. Spent, obviously, three... Three good years there, and um, yeah, couldn't had various loan spells, spells here, then everywhere. Didn't really do much in my loan spells, and in the end, I think the club just got a bit, you know, tired with me and like, well, was he, was he really? He hasn't really managed to settle anywhere. Maybe he's, the talent is there, but yeah, he's gone to places they've not wanted him there for various reasons, and um, that was that. You know, obviously, I had a few loans that broke down. And actually, the majority, when you talk allude to how many clubs I've had, the amount of, I probably think I played for about eight clubs before I was even 20 years old, so mm, or mm. even 19 years old. So, Which might, you know, um, might not be quite so negative as you make it out, because obviously you're picking up experience as you go along, aren't you, with all those different environments? Well, I always look at everybody's story in, in through football, and you look at people's careers, and I, lo- I see a lot, it's, a lot of the time in football, it's one rule for another, one for, rule for someone else. Mm. I've always found that, me telling a club I'm not willing to sit on the bench and whatnot, and I want to play in someone's first team and go and get go and get football was the right thing to do. So some people look back and say, "Oh, look at Ruben Reed; he's never settled anywhere. He bounces around every place." Yeah. And then to another lad who's now, whoever he may be, maybe well, he was he went out to gain experience. Fair play to him; he's played so much football, you know, at, um, at such a young age. Because I'd, I'd passed probably a hundred league games at the age of 20, 21, 22, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember my, my second manager, you know? Yeah. Ian Holloway actually said, we're not actually a player until you play 100 games with games someone. <laughs> and I, I only done that at, say, 23, 24. That was yeah. Ian Holloway. Well, that's what Ian Holloway said. Yeah. And for me to achieve certain things at that 
that age, obviously, that was my aim. And like I said, I was never willing to really, maybe for a bit, being a bit disillusioned or thinking I'm a bit better than myself. I always thought I, I'm not, I'm not willing to sit on the bench or mm. I, I need to be playing football somewhere. Yeah, well, that's that's sensible. You know, you're a footballer. That's what you want to do. But you ended up at Rotherham, yeah. so uh, yeah. a move up north, basically, from your West Country roots and that. Played, uh, yeah. you know, quite a few games there. Certainly one one season, anyway. Um, scored 18 goals up there, so that must have been a fairly successful period for you. Yeah, Rotherham was good for me in a sense where obviously it was it was a breakaway from what I'd known. I'd gone to obviously go somewhere where a manager was going to back me and play me in his first team. Mm-hmm. And he, at the time, managed to find a position for me um, that was going to suit my football and my development. Now, at that time, I played wide right of a three. So, effectively playing as a wide striker. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of experienced lads in the team who really looked after me. And um, I'm forever indebted to them, really, for the way they they were, were with me and type thing. And obviously, when you get a manager who backs you and, you know, and players who will like look after as well, then I think it's only a good recipe for success with a lad who's obviously got certain abilities to affect the football match. And that, that's what they allowed me to do. So I was able to get in good areas and, um, you know, produce what I'm capable of as of being told to try and do something I can't do and mm. be berated for that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I understand what you're trying to say. Who was the manager at Rotherham then, uh, Ruben? That was Mark Robbins. Oh, so yeah. he's now the Coventry City manager. Yeah. So obviously a very astute man. He was actually quite quite cold as a person, really. Mm-hmm. You know, but when we got down to football, you know, he was obviously smart enough and clever enough to sort of work out a formula um to you know get the best out of his players and his group and obviously more on a personal level me. And I mean that was a year when we started off with minus eighteen points, Bournemouth for minus thirty points. And I think without the deduct- deductions, we would have you know, got promoted outright type thing. Mm, mm. Um, but we managed just to miss out on the playoffs. So, yeah, it was a, it was a real, real good year. Well, it was a toughie, actually. I was doing a lot of miles up and down from Yorkshire, you know, back back down the road um, to Bristol. I think I put about 80,000 miles on my little A3 at the time. <laughs> so there were some tough times along the road. But, you know, you, you do a lot of growing up, yeah. definitely. And yeah. um, that, year, that year, I think, made me establish myself as... Because you know you you can make appearances in a foot as a footballer, and then but you're never really solidified as as what I call as a professional footballer. But I mm. think that that period there solidified me as yeah he's a serious player now. Um, we you know we can take we can take notice of him type thing. Then you had a two year looks like a pretty unproductive period at West Brom, put you out on loan yep. twice to Peterborough and Walsall. Uh, and yep. then you ended up at Oldham Athletic, where it looks like you played a complete season there as well, which uh, was better. Yep. Well, I think after my success at Rotherham, I got bought by West Brom. Um, obviously, a team who just come down from the Premiership, so it was a fantastic opportunity for me um, to go to that club. You know, there was obviously other clubs that were in the, in the market at the time that obviously you look back and now and think, well, what if I went there? But again, I can't look back and things in hindsight is obviously a beautiful thing in life to make mm. you think or wonder if, mm. imagine if I went there, would I have done this? But obviously, when you get a move to West Brom there, ideally you bounce again and, you know, start hitting good form and then you either move on again from there or you solidify yourself in their first team. It wasn't to be mainly 
probably through my own fault, my professionalism, or maybe just not being quite good enough up to the standards. You know, mm. who, who knows? Um, again, a very political, at that level of football, is very political in terms of who plays, who gets the opportunities to play. And maybe looking back, I just, I probably just wasn't up to the standard. Had um, a couple of loan moves, had a loan move, a terrible loan spot to Peterborough, obviously, and no, you know, a struggling team in a championship, didn't mm. do much. I think we had about three managers in the space of a few months. So I could only tell you what's going on yeah. in the football club at the time. Yeah, yeah. Ended up going to Warsaw on loan. This is a loan move I did really enjoy and actually played all right, despite having a couple of um, niggly injuries, which really hampered me. But Chris Hutchins, the manager at the time, looked after me. And um, I've, I was really considering a permanent there until he got moved on. And then I was basically told that the club couldn't be able to do anything because... Um, they were they were unable to afford me type mm -hmm. thing. So ended up signing, becoming a free agent, and signing for Oldham under Paul Dickoff. More music now, and this time we've got "Life by the Drop" from Steve Rayborn. <laughs> Right, so Oldham, uh, as I say, uh, a full season by the look of it and uh, a few goals to go with it and and plenty of appearances. So that must have been a happy period for you. No, quite the opposite, actually. Oh, right. Quite the opposite. I would say Oldham was probably the worst period of my career. Really? Um, 
and it's one of the clubs I really think that the, the fan base didn't really get a good. I think they're probably the one club I really the fans didn't really get a good opportunity to see the best of me type thing. Um, I went to Oldham, signed signed an eighteen month contract. Um, obviously, being not being involved with West Brom's first team and only training with you know four to five, six, seven lads, hmm. you know, in in the same group as me, you know, um, it's hard to sort of keep up that level of fitness and intensity, you know, which which is needed for, you know, first team football. And I ended up signing a permanent contract at Oldham. And the first year was um a real struggle, you know, from January onwards to the end of the um end of the year. And didn't really uh hit the heights that I knew I was capable of type thing. But I still had a year left. Um just had my little boy. My little boy was born then and um you know, at that time then, uh, it was a light bulb moment that really, you know, I need to, um, I need to get my acting gear here. Came mm. back to the, that season, came back to that pre-season, the fittest I've ever been. You know, worked hard over summer, came back, was flying in pre-season, and was really, I think, that 15-game period I had at the start of the season was probably some of the best football I've played in terms of sharpness and how I felt as a footballer. But I ended up tearing my thigh muscle um, in the night game. And I could never recover quite back from it. Mm. And um, that really ended, that was really a sour note for me at Oldham because, as I said, I wasn't really able to, um, again, yeah. probably through my own fault, really live up to what I could achieve at that time. And it was just, it just sort of petered out my Oldham period, definitely. So then you ended up meeting me, and that was your worst probably problem, I expect, at the Oval. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Sherborne I do. Trading Field, do you remember? I remember chatting to you there yeah. about it. Yeah, that's right. I sure do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you, you came to Yeovil, and um, yep. as ironic as it may be, as I recall, we drew West Brom in, I think it was the, yep. what is now the Carabao Cup. Um, yes. You played, and I, I think I'm right in saying, did you score? I think you did, didn't you? Yeah, I got a brace in that game, scored two headers in a 4-2 loss but we had a good mm. we give a good account of ourselves and um yeah we did yeah obviously that that year we managed to assemble some good players and obviously it was a year the promotion year yeah. um into the championship so yeah the squad was really good uh, some good players turned up in um in pre-season and we had a good blend of people who could run people who could play football and yeah obviously it made well made good for a, a successful season mm. But you, were, you you had a few injury problems, as I recall, as well, when you were at Yeovil, yeah? Mm, not exactly. I mean, I hurt my... I think the beginning the beginning of the end for me was off the back of an injury. I think, if you remember rightly, I came in, was really bright, had a very good pre-season, mm. um, had a good start to the season, was scoring, was was the first-choice striker with, obviously, hates. Hates played off me. Yeah. Um, sort of in the... And we were doing like a one and one, like so. Hates was more like a, a the link man, and I hurt my calf in a Bristol Rovers Cup game on a night. And me trying to be a hero as I've always done, I've played on with it. Mm. And we had a terrible game against Bournemouth in terms of we couldn't get anywhere near them really. And I think the manager at the time, Gary Johnson, just mm. made his decision based on that. And mm. I, I think everything changed from that sort of. Well, he actually brought me off two minutes before half time, so. If that was a statement to be made, I think that was mm. that was there for for all to see, you know. And yeah. um, I think from then on, it was sort of my time and my game time was always going to be limited, off the off whatever basis what he had in his brain at the time, you mm. know, which was unfortunate because 
I think there was a lot of potential for me and the club at the time, which is always a bit disappointing. Yeah, quite. But but ironically, it, it seems like it was the start of of some some really good period in your football career because you 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 were two loan periods at, at Plymouth where you must have played uh, 50, 60, 60 or 70 games there, uh, scored yeah. quite a few goals. Um, then you must have signed a, a permanent deal at Plymouth by the look of it, where yeah. uh, again you had uh, two good years by the sound of it and, and 25 goals at least. I'm only going by Wikipedia figures here, as I say. Yeah. Um, and then you moved on to Exeter, 57 games there, well, more than that, but you know, 20, 20 goals there. So it was a, it was a nice yeah. period where you were getting lots of goals, lots of games, stability seemed to have arrived at, uh, at yeah. your door, as it were. Really, did you feel that? Yeah, obviously, um, it got to the stage at Yeovil where, not but it's not like it never on my part, but I don't see eye to eye with somebody. It's, if the mm. manager's not having you as a person or a player, then what's the point in sort of, and you know, no matter what you do, you can't turn things around. Then yeah. it's just, and it's, I'm. Let's be honest. I'm not the only player that's happened to with that particular manager. Mm. I won't be the first. I wasn't the first. Sorry, I wouldn't. I won't be the last. You know. No. Um, and when you get to that stage at a football club with somebody, and you know, no matter what you do, you can't turn it around. Then I think it's just time for both parties, more so for your mental health, to sort of move on. Yeah. Um, I ended up obviously moving on to Plymouth Argyle under under a manager who he plays forwards quickly and this was John Sheridan he plays forwards quickly into strikers and he really backs his strikers and the lads around him to give the ball forwards to his strikers um, you know to get the best out of them type thing and I just found myself on a team at that particular moment in my career who you know I was playing 90 minutes week in week out all the lads would kick the ball to me and to be honest to give myself credit I was producing you know I was a regular mm. scorer I broke I broke records in terms of the goal scoring. Uh, first person to score 20 goals, league goals, over a certain period of time. Um, was in team of the years, uh, you know, for the for the league and obviously player players of the season for your for their own for their own club mm. um, awards. So, at that time at Plymouth, it was a really um, it was a really good good time for me. Obviously, it felt like going home. I was already settled in the city and I just had a really good time. was able to play regular football and with a manager who just plays to my strengths, believe it or not. Wow. Mm. Rubes is doing well well now, isn't he? Yeah, well, a manager's playing to his strengths. What do you expect, I think, you know, would, would be in yeah. my brain. So it was a good time at Plymouth, definitely. More music now and this time it's Lessons in My Life by Peter Tosh.
lessons in my life there from Peter Tosh. Now, Ruben certainly got some interesting choices of music, that's for sure. So eventually, though, you did move on from Plymouth and yes. you went to Exeter. And yeah. again, sounds like you had a fairly stable period there. Two seasons and quite a few appearances and quite a few goals again. Yeah, again, Exeter was wicked, man. We had a really, really good team. We had a good mix. Obviously, we've got lads now who've kicked on, you know, in your Ethan Ampadu's, Ollie Watkins. Yeah. Um, David Wheelers, who's gone on and done well. They, we, those guys were probably a bit, bit of unknown quantities. But Paul Tisdale, quite an astute manager, he was able to sort of attract, um, you know, good players at this level of football, or at that level of football, I should say, who could sort of, you know, produce. And then you had the young, enthusiastic ones as well. So we had a really good blend of players and mm. probably one of the best changes I've been in, really, for the camaraderie and stuff. And it was just it was just a brilliant 18 months, you know. Um, we ended up, I ended up signing for the club and we were sort of bottom of the league in the end of the season. We ended up going to the playoff final, narrowly getting beat to, obviously, Blackpool which was a massive disappointment, but again, was able to play regular football and obviously just produce what I can really once I get on there, you know. People, yeah. they, they played a lot of, lot of the ball through me, had good players running off me, and um, I looked a good player and players around me looked good players. So, again, from a personal point of view and from a team point of view, it was, um, it was another good period. And then uh, you moved on again, this time to Forest Green, and a similar, really, situation there. Plenty of goals, plenty of appearances. Yeah, Forest Green. Um, to come to leaving Exeter, I, it, basically with Exeter, I think it's not so much a business club. But at the end of the day, football is a business in a sense where a player was able that his new Paul Tisdale was able to know already who already worked with. He was a bit younger than me, and um, I think it became quite apparent quite early in the, our, our partnership that it wasn't going to run as smooth as Ruben Reed and Jaden Stockley as a two, as it would run as smooth as Ruben Reed, they, uh, David Wheel and Ollie Watkins as a three. Mm. So, and I think having paid money for, for Stockley to come back into the club, it was, I just felt like I was um, not getting pushed aside, but in, the, in, in sense, I was getting pushed aside, if that makes sense. Yeah. And again, it was just a case of, I'm coming into 28, 29 now, I'm an experienced player, I don't know if I'm at my, the stage of my career now where... I'm going to be, you know, happy to come off the bench or not feature as much as I could. And um, at the time, I don't think I was been actively looking to move on, but there was um, there was talk of, you know, Forest Green Rovers wanting to bring me in type thing. And in the end, they ended up paying a fee for me to get me. And it was all, it was a good opportunity for my family at the time to um, sort of, you know, stop travelling up and down the M5 and mm. sort of just... My kids were moving into school at that time, and I just felt like I wanted to do normal things up the school run and stuff. Mm. And I went for it and ended up signing um, a contract for Forest Green Rovers. And again, signed for Forest Green Rovers with the club completely in the mire, like completely dropping out the football league without. So it was a massive risk for me leaving a team at the top of the division for a team sort of rock bottom, can't win a game. And it was, um, but I, I went there with the belief that I could um, really play a big part in keeping them in the football league and in the end that's how it turned out and we ended up getting enough points to, to stay up who was, and, your, um, who was your manager there Ruben? the managers the managers now Mark Cooper alright oh, yeah 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 so yeah he obviously I'd obviously worked with Mark Cooper before mm. and um, at Peterborough and yeah it was at the time it was a good fit the first year round and uh, 
yeah, had a had a had a good time the first year round. Obviously came into um well, there was a we had a personal problem, a personal life problem that's obviously rocked our family a bit hard. That probably set me a bit back in terms of um my mental mental playing capacity, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um came back into the second season and again started off well. We didn't we didn't lose a game, I think, for the first sixteen games. I then ended up hurting my knee. Um, in a game and tried to come back, play. The manager was sort of saying, can we get you out there? Can we get you out there now? I need you back type thing. Played with a busted up knee and it didn't go so well for me. And then all from then, it's just been all changed. It was it was all changed. Mm. Complete U-turn in how my status was at the club and how I was being used. And it was just eventually, it came to, the, came to a head where it was we need to shift them out, we need to move it on. And I guess that just happens in football. For whatever yeah. reason, that's how it came about. More music now, and this one's called Lawyers, Guns and Money, and it's by Warren Zevin. Money. Oh! Yeah. 
There we go, that was Lawyers, Guns and Money by Warren Zevin. So, where did you go from Forest Green? So, from Forest Green, um, I had the opportunity to join Cheltenham Town. And oh. I think you can probably you can probably gather from the clubs I've been at now what my the forefront of where I play football is at the forefront mm-hmm. of my uh, of where and of where I do and uh, choose to play. Um, I just made it abundantly clear that I wasn't willing to be up and down on the motorway anymore, which is why I signed for like say Exeter, Forest Green, and obviously eventually Cheltenham. Yeah. yeah. Um, brought signed for Cheltenham, and again it was a good opportunity. The manager spoke well recruitment officer um technical director was really adamant he wanted to get me in obviously from the last five or six seasons worth of success that i've had you know i scored a lot of goals played a lot of football and achieved quite some some good things um but i was really hit with a bombshell at cheltenham sort of a one day well a day into my to my signing really and it's something that's it's a bit embarrassing and um you know i was basically told with in probably a day of signing into uh, pre-season that my career was effectively over. So um, that was a massive one to take. And I needed a major operation in my knee. Oh, so Cheltenham, yeah. Cheltenham never start, started off. And I'm a firm believer in first impressions. And mm. I never really got to give that first impression. My first impression was walking into the manager's office with my tail between my legs saying I've, I've basically been hoodwinked by my former club in terms of my scans and stuff, where I was told there wasn't the damage, the damage was just wear and tear, when in fact, I actually had literally no knee left. You know, I had a chondral defect in my knee the size of about two centimetres. The bone was all flaking off behind my joint. And, um, you know, when I sat down with the surgeon, it wasn't it wasn't a case of when I asked him, um, well, when will I be back, you know, um, playing? He just had a solemn look on his face and he told me, look, Ruben, if I can get you back walking unaided, so we're talking about with crutches for the rest of my life, then mm. this will be a good result. Yeah. And that that was when it really hit me. I mean, at that time then as well, my missus was just, um, she was going through, you know, invasive cancer treatment, chemotherapy mm. and radiotherapy. So it was, all, it was all coming at me at one time and it was a really strange period of my life. But yeah. me being the person I am, I got myself... The, the the operation was a success and through brilliant rehab with the physio there I got back onto the football pitch and scoring goals mm. um, and yeah obviously came back into that season at Cheltenham in the first year um, scored three winners in a row when I came back got the team sort of you know those nine points solidified our place um, in the playoffs and then lockdown happened so we ended up sort of finishing points per game I think we finished just fourth I do believe that we would have 100% you know went up in the top three without the lockdown but it wasn't to be and we narrowly missed out we got beat in the semi-finals to uh, you know Northampton who ended up going up which was a shame absolutely but now you end up back at Yeovil after sort of almost full circle now Uh, how did the Yeovil move come about because we we heard a little rumour that you were you visited the club a few weeks before you signed, didn't you? Well, the, that is true. It wasn't a few weeks before I signed. I came to, I brought a lad down, one of my teammates down to play a game for Bath City at Yeovil. So basically, I just said at the time, you can stay at my house. I'll do the drive for you. Yeah. I'll come and watch you play. So a lad uh, played for Bath City against Yeovil. And I just think somebody's just put one and one together. Yeah. I yeah. could come up with a hundred. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's how that came about. But, 
the move came about basically I wasn't featuring as much for Cheltenham Town, um, you know, and probably being one of the more senior players there, but the club the club and the manager said, it, listen, if it's a good fit and also in this current climate at the moment, to sort of, if you can if you can secure yourself a contract and obviously still be at stay at home and stuff, yeah. it could be a good thing. Um, I was allowed permission to talk with the manager, Darren, at the time, and he phoned me and he outlined... He he said he'd outlined what he wanted from me and why he wanted to sign me and stuff. And um, everything he said made sense. He gave me a lot of time to sort of mull over the decision. Didn't force me. And I was able to... And it just felt right. And to be honest with you, I've always caught up with Terry Skiverton along the way when we played games against the Oval. And I've just... It's always been a sort of unwritten thing or something that I sort of needed to come back and not make things right because I think I didn't really do anything wrong really first time round but I wasn't really given the opportunity to show what I was about really first time round um, but I'll probably more say unfinished business really come yeah. back and play at a club which I think that I could, could give a lot to yeah well it's, it's good to have you back mate we're all pleased about it yeah well I'm delighted to be back <laughs> so look this is where we get to the Inquisition bit now right um, yeah. I call it the Spanish Inquisition because it reminds me of the, the sketch on Monty Python, I don't know if you ever remember it, but uh, I'm a bit of a Monty Python freak, so I, I remember... I remember Monty so. Python, I don't I don't think I was much of a fan, I didn't see much of it, but I do know the name, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we, we ask you a load of questions like, uh, well, you'll see it a bit as you go along. So, we start now. So, your full name, we know, is Reuben, uh, where was it? I saw yeah. it somewhere, James, isn't it? Yeah, Reuben James. That's Reed. right, yeah. You were born in Bristol. Uh, you, I've got the dates here now. I'm going to answer half the questions for you. Uh, 26th of July, 1988. Have you got any brothers and sisters? I have three brothers and one sister. And their names are? Jake, Josh, Isaac and Eliza. Right. Um, you're married, yeah? Not married, but due to be. Right. Um, I take it you spent the majority of your childhood in Bristol? Yes. Righty ho. Uh, throughout your period of time, you must have played under one hell of a lot of managers. Who would you yes. pick out to be the best manager that you played under? Um, I would say the best manager I've played under would be John Sheridan for personal. Again, it's, this is a hard. This is a hard question because for personal reasons, John Sheridan because I've done well. Hmm. But I know a lot of guys didn't really, they didn't weren't able to perform under him. So from a personal reason, I would say John Sheridan. And at the moment, hand on heart, I want to say Darren Sile as well. I'm really appreciate. I really, mm. I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying everything that's happened for the, in the short period I've been good. Been um, been back. So I would say John Sheridan at the moment, and and Darren Sile. I think, but with regards to Darren Sile, what I say the best at the moment is because. Everything he said at the moment, I would, I absorb in my brain, and I've said, well, he's the same things that I see. Yeah. The exact same things what he's saying is something that I would say. So, I think that's always a good sign. Right. Last one on the musical trail. We've got Campfire Vampire by a band called Upside.
upside there and campfire vampire uh right who would you say is the best player you've ever played with oh well can't do this to me <laughs> you've got some There's more yet good mate, players, you, mate. oh good good player uh, again it's a hard one because I've played with international players, but I've never I've not played like a forty six game season with them. Does that make sense? I've trained with mm. them and stuff. So I'd want to give you a player who in game um you know I mean I've played with, you know, Bobby Reed now, who have who's playing week in, week out in the premiership. Yeah. There's countless others I've played with playing week in, week out in the premiership. But I'll say a lad who I will give you a lad, probably one of the best players I've played with, a lad called Jason Banton. He um he came and had a loan spell at Plymouth Argyle and he was just electric. You know, it was probably about four four months worth of football and just everything he touched just turned to gold. And he was, he, I want to say him just because of what he produced in that moment and how he, how his, um, how his contribution helped the club stay in the Football League. So okay. someone who I trained with week in, week out with, I would, I would say Jason Banton, yeah. Right. Um, what sort of car do you drive? <laughs> Depends what day. All right. I have. I'm obviously. I'm a petrol head, so I've got loads of souped-up Hondas. Um, I've got a Transporter, and I've got. I've got my Audi, which is a great cruiser for the motorway. But on given a choice, it would be a. It would be a, a turboed, old-school uh, Honda, definitely. What What sort of Honda model then? Um. Well, I like my Integra DC2. Honda Type R Integra DC2 is called. Right, okay. So old school. Yeah. Um, if money was no object, what sort of supercar would you buy? Oh, I'd have a built Jap car. All a, day long. A built what? When I say built, a built Japanese old school car. So oh, like, Jap. Um, Sorry, I thought you said Jack. Yeah, Jap. Jap. Yeah. yeah, a Japanese. So a, a Toyota Supra built yeah. like track ready or... A Mazda RX-7, track ready, like full, fully built. Like a lot of a yeah. lot of money's been built into it. You know, caged up and everything. Yeah. Um, a lot of money's gone into it. Yeah, definitely. I got driven round Thruxton. I um, I had a birthday present of a track day at Thruxton right. a few years ago now. And, Good times. Uh, I got a, a, a track day, a, a, a drive. Well, part of it, I, I drove a Ferrari to start with, and then I drove. Yeah. Um, they had a, a sort of a it was a two seat. When I say a two seat, it was, it was a. I don't know. You call it's like a GT car. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a single seater. Yeah. It was a GT car, open, open top, and everything. So I had that, and yeah. then uh, the last bit of it, they got a professional driver there to drive you around the track absolutely flat out, and he had an RX seven. Jesus Christ, did that thing ever? And he go? had an RX seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he well, he, he took, took me around in. God, did that car ever go? Nice. Well, to be fair, if if it was no object, I'd have a I'd have the Widowmaker, a Carrera Porsche Porsche Carrera GT. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the car. That's the car I would go and well, what I'm, those are like. I'm going to make you, you jealous now. Hold of one of those now. A few years ago, well, quite a few years ago now, probably must be 15 years, 20 years ago, probably. I had a, a Porsche Carrera, uh, not a Carrera, a 911e for a while. Um, nice. I'd had it. I wanted this. I want a Porsche. I want a Porsche. Gotta have a Porsche. So eventually, I got Scratch one. Itch. Yeah, I got one, and do you know what? I had it for seven weeks, and I realised that if I didn't get rid of it, I would end up in a box because yep. it was so fast yep. and 
when you've got that power at your disposal, you use it. Yeah, you it. use it. Exactly. You use it. I, yeah. was, I was told my, the first car I went in was a Nissan Pulsar GTR. I don't know if you know the car, but it's, yeah, it was yeah. a really old school, powerful little hatchback thing. Yeah. And I remember that's what really got me loving, you know, with the, mm. with the urge for fast cars. And I said to my mate at the time, Oh, I wouldn't drive it fast, but he said to me, Ruben, honestly, as you just said, yeah. once you've got that power underneath your foot, it doesn't uh, matter where you it. are, you will use it. Yeah. But yeah. you know, it's all about being it's all about being sensible and smart and obviously there's yeah. other road users. Well so that's right. And you have to be you have to be responsible. And I was mad as a hatter in those days, so I, I kept it for about seven weeks and then I decided if I don't get rid of it I'm not gonna be around, so I sold it. But that's another Good story. You're still here. Yeah, I'm still here, yeah. Um, anyway, right, now when it comes to clothes, would you say you're a dedicated follower of fashion or do you just sort of uh, t shirt and jeans or t shirt and tracksuit bottoms? What what do you tend to wear? I I am a I'm massive into my clothes really, but I don't follow anyone's fashion. I just follow my own fashion. Right, yeah. But you so like I you like just... to look Smart. I like, yeah, I think I think I think if you're going to do out, if you're going to go through life, um, you have to do things properly. And I just this gives yourself a nice, a nice sense of yourself, really. You know, when you get out of a shower, so I just think flowing on yeah. flip flops and a t-shirt, even though you're just going into a training ground, just to, yeah. in our line of work to sort of get changed anyway, just makes you feel a bit sloppy. And yeah. I just think take pride in yourself. You know, just okay. No, but you don't dress up like you. You no, know, I know what you're, you're trying, trying to say. You're trying to go on. You know, yeah, I know yeah. It makes you feel a good a bit good about yourself. And yeah. again, it doesn't even have to be massive name brands or anything. No, just you know, something smart, jeans, shoes. You feel comfortable blazer. in that's the main thing, isn't it? Really, what you feel comfortable in, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite holiday destination? Oh, Jamaica, hands down. Right. Um, Without doubt, Jamaica. Yeah. Favourite male film star. Ooh, this is this is a tough one. I've got a few more toughies yet. I, uh, anything with De Niro in it. Right. What an actor. So De Niro, um, Denzel Washington, Yeah, I'm into. But I would say more so, yeah, I think De Niro is my man. Robert De Niro, yeah. Okay. Um, what about females? Female. I... Hmm, this is a tough one. What are you asking me? Are you asking me if I like them? Are you asking me if I like their talent? Or, or I'm assuming you. Know I'm, I'm assuming you like them, mate. So we won't go that way. <laughs> no, I mean favorite film star is what I meant. Female film star. Female film star. Um, I like. What's her name now? The lady, the girl in um, she was in Sicario. Mm. What's her name now? Blunt. Pass. Emily, is it Rachel? Rachel Emily Blunt, one of those two. Right. Okay. All right. We will move on because I've got the. I know the last few are going to stump you for. Um, we're running. Well, we're not running out of time. Emily Blunt. That's her name. Emily Blunt. Right. Okay. That's yeah. Talented, talented lady. What's your favourite food? Favourite food. Ah, see, this is a tricky one to answer because I am now fully plant based. I don't eat meat. Or directly eat milk or cheese. So I'm, I'm. I would say some people would say I'm a vegan, but I'm not a very strict vegan. So which I tell people I'm plant based. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like as I just said, I don't directly eat milk, milk, or cheese, or eat any meat products. So I would have said to you um, barbecue 
or a burger, but now it's um, it would be a rice meal based around, you know, with like beans, mm-hmm. tomato, a cooked down tomatoes, cooked down bean stew type thing, okay. and roast potatoes. Okay. Oh, roast potatoes. Right, favourite drink? Favourite drink? I would have to say Bailey's. Right. Um, have you got any other hobbies apart from fast cars? Fast cars, hobbies, literally spending as much time as I can with my little kids. Okay. That's literally, good. Um, yeah, my kids are my hobbies. I mean, they're all I wake up for, really, and, mm. you know, do what i got to do to type, you know, to give them what, what I never had type thing. How many have and you got? I've got three kids. Yeah? What are yeah. their names? Right, you'll have to listen out for these ones because they, they won't be names you've heard before. <laughs> Go on, then. So my boy, who's nine, is Cable. Yeah. K-A-B-E-L. Yeah. My first daughter is Milana. So uh-huh. Cable's nine, Milana's eight. Yeah. And the little one, the little bad one, is Rogue. And she is a little rogue. She's four. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Um, okay, moving on. These are either ors now, a few of them, right? Coke or Pepsi? Right. Neither, but if I had to, Coke. Right. Mercedes or BMW? I've never had a BM, but at the moment, I would choose a Mac. Um, uh, Mac or PC? PC. Beer or lager? What's the difference? Well, not a lot, I suppose, but it is different, Spirits. isn't it? But let's go, let's go lager. Lager, okay. Um, well, I know this one before I ask it. Steak or curry? <laughs> it's presumably going to be curry. All day long curry. That yeah. is my favourite food. Yeah, okay. Do you play any other sport? Like golf or... Yes. I play cricket. Okay, we'll talk to you about cricket after cricket. the, after the uh, interview. Yeah. Um, right, now, this is where we start getting tricky now. Who would you like to meet, dead or alive? Question. Dead or alive? I would really like to meet... Um, just one person? Yeah. Do you know what? There's so many people, but I would like to have met my granddad who was rescued off Dundalk Beach. Okay. What was he doing on Dundalk Beach then? In the war. Oh, during the war? Yeah, you know the film that they've yeah. actually made a film, Dundalk. <laughs> and so that, that film that you're thinking of was Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. That's the film. Not Dundee. Yeah. Dundalk. Yeah. Dundalk. 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 I, I was sat there I mean. watching it and I was thinking, what's it called? What's Dundalk's it called? island, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's an island. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Dunkirk's in yeah. France. Yeah, yeah Dunkirk. Yeah, right. uh, okay. Okay. Um, right, so anyway, right. so you're sitting down and you're having, a par- you're having a dinner party with your wife, your partner, and you're going to invite five guests to this party, right? Um, yeah. Dead or alive again, who are you going to invite? Because yeah. you got to, you want it to be a successful dinner party. Everybody's enjoying it, not just the food, but the company and, and the whole occasion. Wow, 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 wow. Um, this is really hard. This is really hard. Bob Marley. Yeah. Diego Maradona. Yeah. Um, oh, dead or alive? Yeah, dead or alive. No, they don't do a dead or alive. Okay, I was, I was, I was only had in my head then the, the people who sadly passed us. Yeah. So back to the original crazy. You have this five part. You have this dinner party. Five guests, dead or alive. So a really good dinner party. Nice food. Good company. Everybody has a great night. Who are you going to invite? Right. I'm going to invite. Tupac Shakur. 
he was a musician, a famous rapper, who's yeah. sadly no longer with us. Right. Bob Marley. Yeah. Another famous musician who's no, no longer with us. Right. Um, then I'm going to invite, this is so hard, because there's so many options, um, my brother. Yeah. Because he is very intellectual. Intellectual. Mm-hmm. Obviously the opposite of me, obviously. Um, <laughs> and we'll have great conversation. Uh-huh. And don't have to be all male, by the way, because don't forget your uh, partner's going to be there and she's going to want some female company. And I would also invite, but when you're put on the spot like this, it's really hard to say to find some people. Good stuff, in it, mate? It's good stuff. Good radio. Uh, it's um, very hard to find people now. Um, so we've got three so far. I'd really want to meet Ronaldo, the Brazilian one. Right, okay. That's four. So, yeah, he's. So you want and one, then... one more. Um, I think I would invite. Gosh, this is hard. This is really hard. Come on, think female for you for your partner. Think female. Well, you've got four blokes She's so got... far. I oh, know. She's going to feel totally outnumbered. Yeah, I don't want to sound too boring as well. I need to. I need to get somebody who's going to spice the party up. Yeah. You know. What, some, um, somebody like Ruby Wax. <laughs> She's spicy. <laughs> gosh, I don't know where I'm going just now. Who does my partner like? Who would she sit down and enjoy? Um. He'd probably want Beyonce there. Okay, that's fine. Not my choice, her choice. Uh, yeah, well, you've got to think of her. She's your partner, after yep. all. So, yep. um... Well, that's, a ter- that's, a, that's, not a, that's a terrible choice. I, I'd have to really sit down and think about that one, because it, that guest list would be a very select few. Right, so, well... that, to, to all the listeners, I just want to let it be known that I've been really been put on the spot there. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Um, so, final question then, really, in the old Inquisition, is this. Um, you know, I, I'm not being disrespectful when I say that you're probably coming to the end of your football career soon, but not yet. Um, mm-hmm. What plans have you got for the end, you know, when you finish playing? Yeah, well, I don't think, first things first, I don't think it's soon at all, really. Mm-hmm. I think I've got a lot of mileage left in me. Right. Um, in terms of the way I play. Yeah. But in answer to your question, there's a lot of things sort of, um, sort of, and planning forwards. I mean, I'm now in a position where literally have this conversation again today with another lad. I'm going to do some form of coaching in terms of one-to-one stuff. Yeah. Um, we're starting a process of fostering. Okay. With my partner. Yeah. We've got a good space here, and I think we're going to sort of try and you know do the fostering process in terms of giving some kids an opportunity that maybe they may not have been been given before. Okay. And open and honestly, get a job. Yeah. H, you know. Yeah. I mean, what okay. else? You know, it's I've not done. I mean, I'm financially stable in a sense where I've I've made some good investments and stuff. But I'm eventually going to have to go go back to work to sort of tick over and stuff. And obviously, if I want an annual holiday to Jamaica, I'm going to have to work. So um, not to mention a Porsche. Get a job. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Get a job, as it were. You know, at the moment, my brother he's. They work in a, a youth offenders prison, um, and it's a very challenging job, and it's something that I'd be interested to do because maybe I don't know from my life experiences and being able to talk and you know help maybe be able to help help turn these kids' lives around type thing. So I I, I don't know who knows. I mean I'm I'm into my building at the moment as well. Mm. You know I want to do something constructive, maybe get on a course and do like I said I'm doing a lot to my house off my own back at the moment, doing a lot of woodwork and stuff. So who knows? Um, as I said, I've, my football career has given me enough time to sort of, has given me the opportunity to give myself time to sort of not rush into anything that I don't sort of want to do. Yeah. But okay. I think the cliche thing is sort of get your badges and go into coaching. And if that if that has to be it, then so be it. I, all I do know is I want to be doing something that um, I do enjoy, definitely. 
Okay, Ruben, that's absolutely fine, mate. Thank you very, very much for doing this. It's brilliant. I'm sure the fans will love it because uh, the, the whole idea of this is, apart from uh, us putting a programme out about you, but is obviously let the fans know a little bit more about the player. And obviously this is a good way of finding out a little bit more about the player. Um, that's fine. I mean, yeah. any time. I'm, I'm up for this stuff. stuff any time. Brilliant, mate. Okay, well, thanks ever much for that. I will see you, because uh, bearing, bearing in mind that I have had my jab now, and according to the news today, they say that it's uh, about 85% safe now, so I can probably come out a bit more than I used to. Um, but I'll, when I get up to yeah. uh, Hewish Park, I, we'll, we'll, we'll meet up and have a chat, OK? No, definitely. It'd be great to see you, man. Brilliant, definitely. mate. Well, thanks ever so much for doing this today anyway, and uh, I'll drop you a text and let you know when it's on in case you want to listen to it. Well, that was Ruben Reed, and that brings to an end this edition of Spanish or Glover's Intuition. See you next week. Better kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise are two weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. Our three weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Our thought, no. <laughs> Amongst our weapons. Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear. I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. expects the Spanish Inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as fear, surprise, ruthless efficiency, and almost fanatical devotion to the Pope and nice red uniform. Oh. No, you didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. You expected the Glover's Inquisition. And that's what you got. We hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, please join us again next week when another Glover is under the spotlight. The traffic is stuck. Turn for